inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to be with you today on the program. This is AFA at the Core, and I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Glad to have you with us today on the program. Well, uh, we're going to have Chris Woodward in with us later on in the program, so you're not going to want to miss that. He's going to bring us our headlines of the week here on The Core. If you want to watch the show, you can go to streaming.afa.net, streaming.afa.net to watch the program. We also post a video on our Facebook page, <clears throat> AFA at the Course Facebook page. You can go there and watch the video as well. And of course, we do publish the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We publish the podcast uh, after the show. Uh, we publish it wherever you listen to podcasts. Just type in AFA at the Core and click the subscribe button. And you'll receive the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I do want to turn our attention to the scriptures for this week. Psalm chapter 38 is where we are. We've been in a Psalm for uh, 38 weeks because we've been doing a chapter a week and we're in Psalm chapter 38. So do the math there. Um, we'll be here a while unless I decide to go somewhere else in scripture, which is very plausible, very possible rather. Psalm chapter 38, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, David says. And so David um, David is clearly accepting of rebuke. He's accepting of discipline. He just petitions the Lord to do so not in his anger and not in his wrath. And so as believers, we should be open, we should be welcoming of rebuke, welcoming of discipline. And I know it goes against our flesh. We don't want to be corrected, do we? But we know that it is healthy, it is good, it is proper for believers to fully submit themselves to the Lord's correction. Well, moving into our uh, content for today, we had this, um, this, well, we've got a busy news week. <clears throat> Queen Elizabeth, I think this is appropriate to head off with, to lead with. Um, Britain's Queen Elizabeth II has uh, passed away as of uh, late Thursday, or I'm sorry, early Thursday. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, age 96, has uh, passed away. She reigned for 70 years, 70 years and 214 days to be technical, 70 years and 14 days. I was actually reading, and I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I at least know some of the important things. But I didn't know this, so I'm not a history buff. Um, Queen Elizabeth was around. She was in power, if you will, or reigned for multiple world history events multiple world history events. And um, I think somebody put out a statistic that Queen Elizabeth reigned for like 30% of America's existence. 
uh, which is pretty pretty fascinating. So she had an extensive reign, and um, she has since passed away in the last few days. So that's noteworthy. And she she was queen under multiple U.S. presidents, probably into the double digits if I did the math. Um, multiple U.S. presidents, obviously. And um, I do think I have a clip associated with this news topic. So I, I came across this story, or rather this audio, and there's this tradition, once again, for those uh, who are up on their history, <laughs> if I misspeak, uh, show me a little grace. But there's this tradition, from what I read, at uh, Buckingham Palace, where the queen resides, where the queen lives, um, in Britain, and they have this long-standing history of playing the national anthem, if you will, of of Britain. And I think this tradition's been around for like 600 years. Well, during 9-11, which we're actually coming up upon, September 11th, the anniversary of the attacks on the World Trade Center in New York City. When that happened in 2001, the, um, the queen, um, I, Marty, I, do, do I have this or do, am I imagining this, this audio? Uh, oh, okay, I, I don't have it. Okay, I, 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 I came across this and I thought maybe I'll bring it on the show, but I don't think I actually queued it up to be brought on the show. I'm glad we clarified that now, Marty. Good job. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll just summarize it. P- put it, putting it pretty short, the queen uh, in 2001 interrupted or side sidelined this 600-year tradition of playing this certain song in front of the palace in Britain, and she played the United States national anthem. She played the U.S. national anthem with her military, and it was pretty pretty fascinating. Uh, so I came across that audio. Uh, earlier in the day, so pretty pretty neat history there between the U.S. and uh, and Britain. But moving on to a few other uh, news stories, uh, the the shooting in Memphis. Well, we had actually two news stories out of Memphis this week. We didn't cover the first one, which was the kidnapping and what what is believed to be the murder of of the of the mom in Memphis when she was jogging early one morning in recent weeks. Then then later this week, you had the. Um, the mass shooting, I think it qualifies as a mass shooting. I think five people were shot in Memphis, at least. And uh, so this this uh, this guy, this man, um, goes into an auto zone, I believe, and shoots it up and then flees in a vehicle and shoots other people. But nonetheless, I want to talk about his background because this is important. And, and we're in the South here, all right? So we're half of us are supposed to have our head on right. <laughs> but that's not guaranteed. And 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 these these policies, and, uh, and I'm not just going to say Democrat policies because that's that's overly broad, or maybe too narrow, but these policies that discount human nature, that ignore God's law, these policies that disregard the role of civil government, are leading to these types of criminal, dangerous, violent acts where innocent life is taken. And you say, well, Walker, there's crazy people all over the world. How are we going to stop all the shootings? And that's not what I'm proposing. 
But listen to the background. Listen to the background of the criminal who was arrested for in uh, who is a prime suspect in this mass shooting in Memphis. Let's listen to this. In February of 2020, the fellow's last name is Kelly. Uh, let's see, Ezekiel Dewan Kelly. This is the alleged shooter in Memphis. But let's go back two years. In February of 2020, Kelly, the suspect of this mass shooting in Memphis this week, he was 17 at the time, so he's 19 now. He was 17 in 2020. He was charged as an adult with attempted first-degree murder, aggravated assault, using a firearm to commit a dangerous felony, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon, according to court records. He pleaded guilty to aggravated assault and was sentenced in April 2021 to three years behind bars. But listen to this part. He was released from prison 11 months later in March, according to Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland. Therein lies the problem. And and I don't know, maybe there wasn't enough evidence to convict him of the other charges back in 2020, all of them, because it just says that he pleaded guilty only to aggravated assault back in 2020. And so I don't know the ins and outs, the background of the court case, but what I can tell you is he didn't even serve his sentence, which was three years. He was released. This violent criminal, convicted criminal, was released from prison only 11 months after being sentenced. And we think guns are the problem. What's wrong, the problem is, is that we're going soft on the criminals. We're going soft on crime. The primary, one of the primary and basic functions of government is to protect innocent life. And here we are letting an alleged first-degree murderer, an alleged aggravated assault suspect, and felon get out after 11 months. And so had he not gotten out after 11 months, well, guess what? What happened in Memphis this past week would not have happened. Because he would still be in jail. And so you, you hear the social justice warriors, we need to go soft on crime. We're being too tough on criminals. We just need to give them a break. Our, our, our criminal justice system is racist. That's what they say. With no evidence to back that up, by the way. And then the criminals get out early. But then guess what happens if maybe, uh, I don't know, you're a conservative? <laughs> if you storm, uh, storm, that's, that's uh, probably a little too bloated language. If you trespass on U.S. Capitol grounds on January 6th, 2021, well, you're going to be held indefinitely without a hearing for three years. Two years, three years, four years, however long we want to hold you because you are a domestic terrorist, you are an insurrectionist, you will not have a hearing. And you for sure will not get out early. 
But if you're from Memphis and your skin color is darker and you commit multiple felonies and you get sentenced to three years, we'll let you out after 11 months. We'll let you out after 11 months. And now people are dead. And this is what they want to do. This is what the radicals, this is what the people who deny God's moral standard, God's moral law, and God's de- design and role and, and, and intent for civil government to protect innocent life, this is what those people want to do to this nation. They want the hardened, hardened criminals, the career criminals, the violent criminals to walk out of jail after a couple days. Remember, who needs bail? We don't need bail. No cash bail. That's what New York's doing now. So you murder somebody and you're back at home that night. But if you're Donald Trump or you're Steve Bannon or you're Michael Cohen, the lawyer for the president, you're going to go behind bars and you're going to go behind bars for a long, long time. Because you are our political enemy. This is not political, folks. This is not political. Being able to go jogging in the city is not a political topic. Being able to go to AutoZone and buy a spark plug is not a political topic. When you commit violent crimes, when you murder people, you should stay behind bars for a very long time. It should not be our justice system or our government's job to figure out how the criminals can get out early. It's absurd. We live in an upside-down, backwards world, and it's a little bit like what Scripture says, where right will once be called wrong, and wrong will be called right. That's where we are now. That's where we are now. If you're a conservative, if you're a Republican and you, I don't know, pay, missed $10 in taxes seven years ago, they're going to come after you, all your 87,000 IRS agents with their pistols. They're going to come after you. But if you murder somebody or you do an armed robbery and you're a felon convicted, well, you can get out after about 10 months. No problem. We got a long way to turn this country around, folks, but we need the people who don't believe in God and who don't believe in his moral law, we need them not in power. We'll be back in a few. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you back with us today on the show. Hey, I do have an announcement before we jump back into our news and we introduce Chris Woodward. Uh, we are gathering listener testimonies or listener stories for our upcoming fall shareathon. So, has the Lord here? Here's a question for us to consider: Has the Lord used American Family Radio in your life? Has the Lord used American Family Radio in your life? Have you been, um, has AFR been there at just the right time for you? Has God used it? So if if God has used American Family Radio um, to encourage you, to uplift you, to inspire you, to challenge you, to educate you, um, then feel free to call in. We would love for you to call in 
and uh, share your story, share your testimony, 877-876-8893, 877-876-8893 is this number, 877-876-8893. And you can uh, take about a minute, one or two minutes, and share how God is using American Family Radio in your life. So that's our our, our challenge to you, our request for you, and uh, you'll probably hear yourself at some point during our upcoming Fall Sherathon. Well, uh, Chris Woodward, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me back. Well, uh, Chris, uh, busy news week. Uh, you know, with news, it can you can hit Wednesday or Thursday, and you're like, this is a slow week, and then everything happens on Friday. <laughs> well, um, this week is no different. Uh, before we uh, move to the Queen passing, uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II, which I did mention at the beginning of the show in passing, um, I do want to cover this story in Memphis that I talked about uh, extensively last mm-hmm. segment. Uh, Memphis had a rough week this past week. Give us a summary of, of, of it from a news perspective. Yeah, well, on Wednesday, the big story was this uh, shooting spree uh, where a teenager uh, was accused of killing four people and injuring three in a rampage that was streaked, uh, streamed on Facebook. Uh, 19-year-old Ezekiel Kelly is the suspect. He was identified as such by police. He was also accused of two armed carjackings that happened as he attempted to flee from police. Memphis was on a lockdown at one point. Uh, Memphis, for those that have never visited the city, it's not a small city. It's not a small town. So when it goes on lockdown, that's a huge announcement. And, you know, everybody was already on alert because you had the murder and kidnapping of the mother and teacher that was jogging in Memphis yes. uh, a few days prior to that. And they believe they found her body. I don't think they've confirmed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that true? Yes. And, you know, all these stories you can find on our website, AFN.net. Uh, one of the um, really interesting things with the shooting that happened on Wednesday was that the mayor uh, made it known that the uh, suspect, again, 19-year-old Ezekiel Kelly, had been in jail uh, serving what should have been a three-year sentence, but he was let go for 11 months. And Mm. as the mayor pointed out, had he still been in jail, four of our citizens would still be alive today. CNN picked that story up and ran that. Okay, so that's a piece of the puzzle that I did not mention last segment because I didn't know it. So the mayor called that out during Mm -hmm. a press conference? Yes, the mayor said it's not the fault of police. They're doing their job. Prosecutors aren't. Well, that's good for him. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Um, This, uh, this... This issue, Chris, with going soft on crime and uh, letting criminals out early, I mean, New York is reeling reeling through this or suffering through this, if you will. Now, they had the bail reform, and they, they, they call this stuff, you know, bail reform, and everybody's like, yeah, we need bail reform, but what does that actually mean? It mm-hmm. means that the hardened criminals get out earlier uh, with no, really no time served between, uh, they can't be held. They can't be held before they're uh, uh, until they're sentenced, uh, convicted, and then sentenced. Um, but violent crime is up statistically uh, under the Biden administration and in various states. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really Chris uh, gutting economically and population wise. It's gutting our inner cities. Oh sure, yeah. If you live in Memphis right now, uh, Memphis proper, uh, you're probably uh, if you if you can swing it, you're probably thinking, okay, we need to move somewhere. Uh, somewhere out in the burbs. You've got DeSoto County, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, you've even got uh, places in Arkansas that are not far <laughs> from Memphis uh, where you know one would uh, probably be able to move, maybe even 
spend a little less money due to cost of living differences there. Yeah. And, you know, it, it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're not, um, you know, putting your life at risk by going to the grocery store. Yeah, there's something, Chris, and I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, I don't, I haven't studied this, but there's something about the inner cities. There's something about the inner cities. I don't know whether it's just because you got a mass population pocket. Um, and so statistically, you know, you're going to have more, more crimes, but the inner cities, I mean, they seem to, it seems inevitable, Chris, that when you, when you hit a couple million people, mm-hmm. um, these cities just have a really hard time keeping things safe, keeping the economy going and keeping everybody interested in what's going on in urban America. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly in my lifetime and yours, a lot of these, uh, big urban areas have been run by Democrats. I mean, you're, t- yes. you know, uh, you've got places in Baltimore, you've got New York, which at times has had Republican mayors. Uh, but generationally speaking, you've had Democrats running these kinds of places. Um, and as some people have pointed out on other programs on AFR, you get what you vote for. Yeah. So if you put this party in power and they don't do anything about it, at some point, you're going to have really bad uh, issues going on in your city. And it, the people that lose the most from these kinds of things are people in the minority communities Yeah, um, where you have, uh, you know, police are reluctant to go into certain neighborhoods uh, and you've got, you know, a, a mother trying to raise a couple of kids or a grandmother trying to raise a couple of kids and there's uh, all sorts of criminal activity going on and you can't get any help for it. Yeah, it's really unfortunate. Uh, for America's cities. And, um, you know, to your point earlier, there are people that can afford to move out into the suburbs, but there are, unfortunately, there's families that just can't afford it. Right. You know, they don't have the money to uh, up and move and buy a city, uh, buy a house in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Chris, I actually didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, so surprise. Okay. But uh, California um, is doing a couple of different things on the energy front. They um, banned... They banned uh, the purchase of ga- uh, gas-burning vehicles mm-hmm. post-2035, 2035. Mm-hmm. So within the next, I don't know, 12 or 13 years, they are attempting to phase out the purchase of any new gasoline-burning vehicles, Chris. The same week, the same week, they, they sent out a notification telling people who own electric vehicles that they don't need to charge them during certain hours during the day because the grid just can't handle it. Please tell me, Chris, this is not true. It sounds like <laughs> something you would read on the Babylon Bee or like The Onion, yeah. but it was legit. It really happened. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, look, you know, you're not going to be able to um, swing this kind of uh, thing in 12, 13 years' time without billions or maybe even a trillion dollars' worth of investments um, in energy infrastructure. So yeah. wind turbines, more solar panels, things like that. What's really troubling here, a lot of people, you know, you hear these things and you go, oh, that's California. I'm glad I don't live there. Um, oftentimes, unfortunately, what happens in California ends up spilling over into other states. Yes. And you have a lot of automakers, many of which have already said, hey, we're going to make some more EVs. But, you know, um, brand X, I'll say, is not going to make a bunch of gas-powered cars and then to benefit the people of California, make a bunch of EVs. At some point, yeah. they're going to make one or the other. Yeah, this is this is unsustainable, <clears throat> and we're already seeing the consequences. California's already seen the consequences of not investing in fo- fossil fuel infrastructure and then leaning heavily into solar and wind. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this is doomed to fail, literally doomed to fail, because 
you keep adding tens of thousands of electric vehicles to your state's grid and you're 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 retiring the coal and the fossil fuel plants i mean that's a disaster waiting to happen and we're seeing some some of that happen now but chris one thing i wish somebody would do a study on is how much landmass we would need to run this nation off solar panels that, that's what they don't talk about this the wind the the wind uh, the wind turbines or the windmills mm-hmm. they uh, they really don't take up a lot of square footage they don't take up a lot of acreage uh, they do kill birds, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> and uh, and what to how to dispose of them when they're retired is another topic. Uh, bury them in the in the planet. That's a great idea. That's mm-hmm. economical. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I'm just curious. You know, I see these these solar farms, and uh, they they bulldoze all the trees. What they're supposed to be trees are good, right? Trees are eco friendly, right? They bulldoze all the trees, and they turn it into just this this dead field and they plant a bunch of uh solar panels if we wanted to run this nation off of solar panels i mean we'd basically have to bulldoze all the trees in the in the, in the in, within our borders yeah that's true. i'm exaggerating but no i mean i would be curious to know i mean it's not that much of an exaggeration one thing that it's obvious is that you know you'll see a, a solar farm or a wind turbine farm uh in remote areas uh but you never see them in gated communities or next to gated communities uh, you know, you're not well, going to see. Who wants to walk out their back door and see a bunch of solar panels? Right. Well, certainly not Nancy Pelosi uh, <laughs> uh, or anybody else that pushes for these kinds of things. Um, you know, and they want to spend our money to uh, to make sure that uh, people have these kinds of things. Um, a lot of the people that push for these, they don't want it because you know they're an eyesore. Yeah. Um, they're the jury is still out on whether or not um, wind turbines might actually make some people ill based on like the low hum and stuff like that. You can look yeah. it up. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I've been looking into this a little bit, and when I read about the solar panels and the battery, you know, the battery bank, if you will, for your house, you know, they'll never commit to running your whole house for an indefinite period of time. There's always the caveat, you know, this this battery bank could run out if it's a cl- cloudy day, and I'm like, this does not sound good. Like, why is this so appealing for people? But it's just like the new thing, you know, we're going to... We're going to get batteries and we're going to get uh, solar panels. But I do want to move on to the more important topic, okay. Chris. Um, Queen Elizabeth II passes away. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background here and what's going on in Britain now. Yeah, she passed away this week at the age of 96. Uh, most, if not all, of her uh, family members were with her. They had gathered in uh, the Scotland area uh, to be with her in her final moments. Uh, 96, one of the longest-serving uh, monarchs in, in the history there. Um, and, you know, really uh, a sad time in, in the U.K. Uh, it's basically the equivalent of your nation's leader passing away. Now, uh, the Queen of England or even the King nowadays doesn't have as much power as they did back, let's say, 100 years ago. Uh, but it's still a, a figurehead, um, somebody that's kind of the face of your country, if you will. So uh, that might explain why a lot of people have gathered outside uh, Buckingham Palace and other Uh, places there in the UK to pay their respects to her. So her son, uh, Charles, is now king, King Charles III. His son, William, uh, his oldest son with uh, Princess Di, uh, he's going to be second in line to the throne. Um, I'm not sure how old exactly Charles is. I want to say he's in his 70s, so we could see another change at some point in the next uh, 15... 73, yeah. Thank you, Marty says. Um, but what's interesting here, there is actually a climate change connection with Mr. Charles and uh, hmm. the topic we were just discussing. Uh, King Charles uh, has been a um, one of those people sounding the alarm over so-called man-made climate change. and He is a big proponent of something called the Great Reset, 
which is basically a redistribution of wealth. Um, and I would imagine at some point in the not-too-distant future, we're going to see and hear more from King Charles on both the Great Reset as well as climate change. He'll probably make the international circuit to speak to, of all people, Joe Biden, mm-hmm. who also wants us to reset the way we do our economy uh, and uh, sound the alarm over climate change. Do we know much about the Queen's politics uh, before she passed? I mean, I know she hosted multiple presidents. She did, yeah. Uh, uh, President Trump, I believe, visited her at some point mm-hmm. during his administration. Um, was she, quote unquote, maybe a little more conservative? I'm not sure as to where she might fall on the, uh, the spectrum, and I don't even know if you know necessarily a conservative or a liberal in the is UK a, is, is a good the, way, is to, is a, is a way to describe it. I will say uh, she went way out of her way uh, back in the 80s to uh, have a sit down with President Ronald Reagan. Okay, uh, there at the Reagan Ranch in the uh, Santa Barbara area. Uh, Young America's Foundation was uh, tweeting pictures and video of that. It was a huge problem with uh, rain, and there was a lot of mud and. Um, water flooding, stuff like that. So I think it's fair to say she was very hospitable to multiple administrations, multiple uh, presidents uh, Mm -hmm. with differing views. Yeah, and, you know, we're Americans, obviously. We have a a history, if you will, uh, with the uh, the royal family in the U.K. there. But um, we, our countries have been really close allies um, for a long time. Uh, and uh, we have remained close allies due to uh, her, her politics, the fact that she was willing to sit down with whoever yeah. was in our White House uh, and have a talk about things. So what, what's interesting, too, um, all of this uh, happens uh, the same time that Britain is getting a new prime minister. So we've got a, you know, a lot of new faces running England. Do we know much about her? I don't. Yeah, um, there have been stories um, that she's uh, maybe flip-flopped on issues, cultural issues, social issues, stuff like that. Uh, Ever since she was named the next prime minister, she has been referred to as Hmm. Thatcher-like. So uh, someone who is similar to Margaret Thatcher, who was the prime minister of the UK back in the day. Mm. Uh, it, on in through the Reagan administration. Yeah. Uh, huge friend with uh, Ronald Reagan when he was I, in office as well. I'll tell you what, uh, Boris Johnson was a dud. I mean, Boris Johnson just, um, yeah, people got excited about him. This mm-hmm. is a new conservative guy uh, for Europe and uh, for, for um, was it Britain? Mm-hmm. And a Britain prime minister. And then he just didn't follow through, man. It was very disappointing. Yeah, I think one thing that really made people upset was uh, COVID policies. Oh, uh, he was terrible. He it's violated. Like the Democrats. COVID. Yeah, he was. He was. He pulled a Newsom, if you will. Yeah, uh, and violated his own policies that you know we uh, the people were expected to follow, but apparently not prime ministers. Yeah, there's something about power. It just you know people can say all the right things behind the microphone, but you get them. Uh, you get them in power where they actually have a say. Um, things change. I guess human nature takes over. All right, Chris, thanks for coming on the core. Thank you. If you want to read all the stories, many of the stories we just talked about, you can go to American Family News website, AFN.net is the URL, AFN.net. we got a great news team there of reporters, and every day they're working hard to put out news all from a Christian perspective. AFA at the core will be back in just a few minutes.
AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to have you with us this afternoon here on American Family Radio. I'm Walker Wildman. I'm your host for the show. Well, I mentioned this last segment, but I'll mention it again for maybe those who, who missed it. Uh, we are fielding listener stories, listener testimonies here on American Family Radio in preparation for our upcoming share in uh, October, where we come alongside, or we ask you rather, to come alongside American Family Radio to support our work, to support our broadcasting. Uh, and we do that twice a year in the fall and the spring. So if God has used American Family Radio in your life, we'd like you to call in and let us know how God has used American Family Radio in your life. Uh, we're just asking for about one to two minutes, two minutes at the, at the most, uh, for your story. So keep it relatively brief uh, so we can uh, use this audio on the air for our upcoming share The number to call in with your listener story, 877-876-8893. 877-876-8893 is that URL. Well, <clears throat> the there's a positive court case out of uh, New York, and this is out of lifenews.com, but this uh, federal district court issued an order on Wednesday based on its Tuesday decision permanently preventing the state of New York from shutting down a faith-based adoption provider uh, that was targeted for its religious beliefs. So this has to do um, with an adoption agency in the state of New York that prefers a mom and a dad be in the home in order to uh, carry out and to facilitate an adoption in the state of New York. So this agency is a Christian adoption agency, and their their um, their standard, if you will, their belief is that uh, in order to adopt, there needs to be a mom and a dad present. Why? Because God's word says that he made them male and female. The family institution is designed to have a mom and a dad and, uh, and, and, and have them raise children, have them bear and raise children. But furthermore, not only does God's word say that, declare that, but sociology, psychology, all the major sciences, all the major data shows that the best situation for a child is to have mom and dad at home in all areas, not just from an educational standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint and from a um, uh, from an economic standpoint. I mean, you could cover all the different areas in how it's better and best for mom and dad to be present in the home uh, for the child. And so this Christian adoption agency has a very, um, very standard, very a widespread um, Christian belief that uh, a mom and a dad need to be present. Well, the state of New York came after them um, and um, singled out the nonprofit for its policy. Well, the nonprofit fought back, and thankfully uh, they have won and they will be able to maintain their religious beliefs or maintain their convictions and operate their adoption agency according to those beliefs, according to those standards. So good for them, uh, good for them fighting back <clears throat> in the state of New York. Well, I do want to cover a couple other stories. <clears throat> I came across this um, 
this uh, CNBC story about here's here's a headline, and it's based on a on a report on a study, but it says too much free time won't make you happier, says psychologist. How many hours you really need in a day? And so the whole basis of this story, the whole basis of the report and the uh, study is that we oftentimes catch ourselves complaining, saying, I wish we had more hours in the day. I wish we had more hours in the day. And this study really shows, and I'll just read a little bit from the report. By the way, this is out of... um, um, this is from, uh, authored by, this article is authored by uh, Cassie Holmes. She is a social psychologist and behavioral science professor at UCLA. She wanted to know this question. Will having more hours of free time actually make us more satisfied in life? So she enlisted her colleagues to study over at UCLA how tens of thousands of Americans spend a regular day, as well as their overall happiness levels. She says the uh, results were illuminating. Those are her words. Goes on to say, uh, she goes on to say that first we calculated how much time people had in a day to spend on discretionary activities, such as relaxing, watching TV, playing sports, or hanging out with friends. Then we tested how that calculated amount of time related to their satisfaction in life. What she found and what the researchers found is that two to five hours of free time in a day is ideal for boosted happiness. Having less than two hours or more than five hours a day, five hours of free time, however, decreased happiness. So let me say that again, that last part. However, less than two hours or more than five hours of free time in a day, so less than two or more than five, Decreases happiness, statistically speaking. The uh, data confirmed, this uh, lady says, that she was uh, time poor is what she calls it. Our feeling that she had too little time available to do all that she needed to do and wanted to do. So this this is just interesting to me. You know, is this the gospel? No. But I think we can learn from this. I think we can learn from this. I think the number one thing we can learn from this is that joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from the Lord. And the reason I say that, and I make such a quick pivot, is we can run all the studies we want. We can time our day in what we view as perfect to equate happiness or equal happiness. But if we don't have an eternal hope, an eternal perspective, and what the Bible says, joy from the Lord, then it really doesn't matter how our day is scheduled. It really doesn't matter how we allot or we budget our time. Some of the wealthiest people in the world are also some of the unhappiest, are unsatisfied, most unsatisfied. Some of the people with the most free time are also the most unhappy. And so these are not definitive, rock-solid, black-and-white rules for life. But if we do want to take something from this study, 
I think we can take that there is such thing as too busy and there is such thing as not busy enough. God created us to work. God also created us to rest. Does the Bible give us the precise exact amount of time that we should work and rest in Scripture, such as you should work an eight-hour workday, but then you should rest the rest of the time? No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible does talk about, God does talk about having a day of rest, right? Isn't that we get where we get our modern-day Sabbath, or what most people call Sunday? Other people may do it another day during the week. So the principle of a Sabbath, a day of rest, does come from Scripture. That's absolute. That's non-negotiable. But as far as how many hours in the day we should work, you know, we could debate that out. I think it's fair to say that we need to have a healthy balance. We need to have a healthy balance. We don't need to spend the majority of our time doing nothing (laughs) because then we got to ask ourselves, well, how productive are we being for God's kingdom if we're doing nothing? Or we're participating in entertainment, leisure, or really what I call non-productive activities. And so I think in life, what we can learn from this study and just talking about this overall topic is that we do need to balance, as believers, we need to balance how much time we're spending working, being diligent with our hands, being diligent with our minds, and how much time we are spending resting or how much time we spend resting. We need to balance that out. There needs to be a healthy balance. We don't need to be lazy. We don't need to be lazy. But we also don't need to be burned out or burn out. We don't need to be going and going and going to such an extent that we have no time to spend in God's Word, we have no time to rest, and we are absolutely exhausted to where we cannot give God our full attention and our full um, work. Uh, so <clears throat> whether I gave you any direction there or not, I don't know. Maybe so. I hope so. Uh, but we need to have a healthy balance. And uh, this uh, study actually provides some pretty good pretty good information. Uh, according to this uh, study, if you, if you have less than two hours of quote-unquote free time or relaxation a day, you can possibly be a little more unsatisfied. And then if you have more than five hours a day of nothing to do or leisure, uh, then you could also uh, be unsatisfied or unhappy uh, there. So somewhere between the two hours and five hours seems to be the perfect uh, balance of time needed to rest uh, and to relax and just not have anything to do. And, you know, one challenge that I've really been working on myself is screen time. Screen time. And I'm not talking about work per se, although a lot of jobs do require a lot of screen time. I'm looking at a computer now. (laughs) But this mobile device, I mean, this thing is like a double-edged sword. I'm just looking at it like it's a person. Um, These mobile devices, specifically these phones that go in your pocket, this little computer in your pocket where you can connect to somebody 10,000 miles away from your pocket, it's fascinating technology, very handy, um, makes life very convenient, easy, streamlined, but it can also be very distracting. I mean, I, I catch myself checking my phone and I'm asking myself while I'm checking it, why am I checking it? 
and I really have no really targeted, important, critical function or process that I'm looking for, uh, but I'm just checking it, just to check it. Maybe I'm uh, looking for some endorphins, some kind of notification, uh, something to keep me going to make me feel important. I don't know, uh, but that's maybe something uh, I want to challenge you with is to maybe think about how uh, often you're spending on uh, your phone uh, and are you are you being rude? Are, are people trying to carry on a conversation with you and you're looking at your phone while they're trying to talk to you and look you in the eyes? I mean, that's these are basic etiquette manners uh, things that we need to consider, that we need to consider. And I'm not, a, I'm not an anti-techer, if that's even a word. I'm not a, hey, uh, computers are bad. I use technology all over the place. Um, and many people do. It can be very useful for humans. But once again, it comes back to balance comes back to balance and we just don't need to be consumed and too distracted uh, with some of these uh, modern technology uh, items. We've got to find a place for face-to-face interaction, find a time for human-to-human interaction. It is absolutely healthy and good for human-to-human, face-to-face, handshake, Interaction, acknowledgement, facial uh, expressions, all of that is very good, very normal, very healthy. That's how God designed us. That's how God designed us. And that's why it's really not all or nothing because I use I use these uh, video conferencing uh, tools. It's uh, You can jump on a call with somebody in another state. You can uh, have a meeting in another state just like that with the internet. It's very convenient. Um but we don't need uh, to, to limit ourselves uh, to the only interaction we're having with people is on a screen. I mean, that's just not healthy. And that's why I'm not a big a fan of this like Facebook church, you know, where you wake up in your pajamas and you grab your coffee and you watch church on Facebook and that's what you're doing. That's your fellowship for the week. Um, you know, not that you can't watch, you know, Bible lessons and an occasional, maybe if you're sick or you're traveling and you want to, you know, watch your your local church sermon on the internet because you're just not available, you're just not there, you know, that's that's fine. I'm talking about making this a permanent thing. I'm talking about making it a habit to never fellowship with other believers in person and all you're doing is listening to podcasts, listening to Christian music, and watching sermons on YouTube, and you're never interacting face-to-face with other believers. That's just not healthy, folks. It's just not good. We all need human-to-human, face-to-face interaction. And I'll tell you what, uh, COVID really brought this out. COVID really highlighted this when they went down, when we went to the lockdowns and everybody's got to wear a face mask, isolation, stay in your house for two weeks, so on and so forth. I mean, this just really convicted me and and brought, brought to me the fact that as humans we desire and we flourish when we interact with other humans. That's a good thing. Interacting with other humans is a very healthy, very natural, very godly and uh, and, and natural created uh, concept and, um, and task. So don't forsake, to take this thing right back to scripture, don't forsake the assembling of believers. And assembling doesn't equal Facebook. All right. Face-to-face is what I'm talking about. Thanks for joining the core. Glad to have you with us today on the program. Don't forget to check out our website, afr.net, afr.net, and we'll see you next time.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.